Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Time now for the second hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Good to be with you. Have you along for the ride today? We'll open up the phones anew here in just a little bit at 303-696-1971. Of course, you can text into the show on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town. If you wish to text in, please. So Israel is doing what they can right now to root out Hamas in Gaza as you see calls for a ceasefire mount on the left. There's a lot that has happened in the last month plus in Israel and Gaza. Understanding what's happening on the ground, though, is important. We don't normally get some in-depth perspectives on what's happening there and what the strategies are that Israel is using, what the implications are, so on and so forth. We see so much discussion that's sort of in the pol- the politics of it all, ceasefire being more of a political thing than it is an actual military strategy of any kind, which is why I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to speak once more and get a better understanding of what's actually happening on the ground and more from retired Air Force Brigadier General Doug Slocum. General Slocum is a retired commander of the Selfridge Air National Guard Base in Michigan. With his call sign Odie, General Slocum is a career fighter pilot serving for 35 years, with his last five commanding the 127th Wing of the Air National Guard, along with commanding the Selfridge Base in Michigan. And he offers great analysis that we're very grateful have the opportunity to benefit from this morning. Good morning, General. Welcome back to 710K in U.S. Good morning, Jimmy. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. And let me start. Let's begin our discussion before we dive in on Veterans Day with Veterans Day. Uh, First, thank you for your service. We have so many men and women right now listening who have served our country in uniform as well. I want to thank all of you But on this Veterans Day, November 11th, what are your reflections as a career military officer, general, someone who has commanded men and women for many years in the past? What do you look at the significance of this day, especially in a moment where we see hot wars going on in two locations where the U.S. is providing support? Well, you I mean, you, you've touched on so many things just with this, those opening remarks there. But one is we have absolutely remarkable men and women who serve this country and have served this country in the past, our veterans. Uh, and this is our opportunity just to, to thank them, to celebrate them uh, and everything that they've done for us to include securing the freedoms and the liberties that we enjoy today. Uh, you know, we can we, we still have some of our World War Two veterans with us. Uh, the stories of that greatest generation to the men and women who, you know, sacrificed just to allow us to to function the way that we do 
uh, in this country and to make, you know, this is why so many people want to come to the United States. It is a wonderful land of opportunity. And we have our men and women who've served in uniform uh, to thank for that. I have a, a friend who had told me many years ago that our freedoms and our rights are only as good as those who are willing to take responsibility for those rights. And to me, there is nobody in our country who has done that more than the men and women in uniform who serve our country, whether they have served overseas or here at home. And not only that, but also, General, your families, your families that sacrifice so much in the in the midst of the sacrifice that you make as someone who's serving your country. And thank you for bringing that up, Jimmy, because you're right. Uh, You know, the families, uh, they sacrifice, too. They have uh, you know, a parent or whatever who's deployed overseas and, you know, uh, whatever service he or she is serving in, uh, they're not there a lot of times. And uh, you know, I was writing a story the other day, and that was my comment is just here's another example of something that happened in, in the life of my daughter uh, with the continuing theme of and I wasn't there um, because I was doing stuff uh, for the country. But there's so many the families, uh, you know, that separation is very, very difficult. It adds another layer uh, a challenge to their resiliency. Um, but the families are remarkable too. And thank you for remembering them and a big shout out uh, to the supportive families. We can't do what we do without you. Amen to that. We thank our veterans and your families all the time. It is always on our hearts here on 710 KNUS. When we look in this moment, though, we are seeing wars in Ukraine. We are seeing and in Israel, Gaza. And I really want to zero in on the latter conflict with you again, General Doug Slocum. Right now, we are now, uh, we're a little over a month after Hamas's brutal surprise attack on Israel. It was a day that will live in infamy as the most brutal, barbarous attack on Jews since the Holocaust. Absolutely terrifying, especially when you see the methods that they used and how depraved they were. And, of course, we have seen military conflict get worse and worse and continue for the last month plus. How do you assess big picture, and then we'll drill in, the current state of affairs with the war in Gaza, General Slocum? Well, um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. And when we look at what's happening, I mean, Israel declared their response to this right up front. Um, you know, within hours, they declared war, um, which is, you know, unprecedented in this in that country. And three-fourths of the folks who served in the military there are reservists. So they, they immediately started a massive mobilization uh, of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, in response. Uh, and their stated goal was to wipe out Hamas, basically to make sure that it is no longer a functioning entity that is a threat to the country of Israel. Um, Hamas is embedded uh, as the governing authority in Gaza, uh, that area that's about 25 miles long, seven-ish miles wide, depending where you look. But it's a relatively small area, you know, about one-fourth the, the total size of New York City. Um, and now... It started with uh, what we would call shaping the battlefield, uh, a lot of those strikes from a distance while Israel came up with a strategy, came up with the tactics and all that they wanted to use. Uh, and I had a great opportunity this week to talk to some of the folks over there on the ground uh, with some good insights of what's happening. And we used to talk in military about, you know, uh, blitzkrieg, lightning warfare, maneuver warfare. 
Uh, this is a little different scenario. Uh, Israel's having to be very slow and methodical. Um, you know, one is just the scenario itself. It's an urban area. You have all the tunnels underground. You have hostages. You have the human shields. Everything that's employed in that whole concept of lawfare, where it's more about public opinion than it is the impact of weapons in a lot of cases. Um, and they're they're having to take a step, and then they have to make sure that then everything's cleaned up behind them as they take these small nibbles uh, of the property and all that they're they're looking to to root out Hamas. So it's a huge challenge that they're looking at. So they're taking it very slow, trying to minimize casualties, despite what you might see in the news. Uh, certainly, it could it could be a whole lot worse than what we're seeing. Uh, so they're taking a slow, methodical approach to uh, achieving their objectives in Gaza. Let's talk for a moment about the lengths that the Israelis really do go to avoid civilian casualties, because we keep seeing chatter even here at home that says the Israelis are targeting civilians or they're indiscriminately allowing civilians to be killed. Uh, we have seen thousands of people who aren't Hamas militants who have died in Gaza among the Palestinians. But it's not like the Israelis are intentionally targeting them, right? I mean, there are specific things that they, steps that they take to avoid casualties in the best possible way. The fact of the matter is, though, Hamas is living among the people and using them as human shields. Well, and you're, you're touching on it exactly. And that's why I was saying one of the most lethal weapons going right now in Gaza is the public opinion. So there's a huge fight going on now about perceptions, about lawfare, about the legitimacy uh, of the, let's call it the tactics or the strategy being employed by Israel. Uh, what, what you do see is, uh, you know, when you have human shields, when you have the tunnels, when you have military infrastructure embedded in a way that it cannot be distinguished from civilian infrastructure, inevitably there's going to be cases where if you need to take them out, that there's going to have to be, uh, you know, there's going to be civilian casualties, and some would argue that that's being done quite intentionally on behalf of Hamas for that purpose we talked about. Uh, but what you do see from Israel, once again, is a slow and deliberate you process. You see them employing a lot of uh, information warfare, as in, hey, you have the opportunity to get out of here, or we're about to bomb here. You need to evacuate. Uh, and then predominantly, you see them using precision type of weapons. Uh, that can hit very specifically as opposed to area weapons or uh, not precise that are going to hit, you know, plus or minus thousands of feet or something like that. Um, so I think within the laws of war, when you look at it, the Geneva Conventions and the many other provisions that define what we call the law of war, uh, I see that, you know, from my perspective, my seat, my experience, it looks like Israel is doing their best to adhere to that while still achieving the objectives they're looking to do. Let's talk about that war on uh, for public opinion, the battle for public opinion, General Slocum. I want to play a clip of Elon Musk this week. Of course, he owns Twitter. He's CEO of Tesla, billionaire, SpaceX, and so forth. And here is what he said in regards to the consequences of ongoing Israeli bombardments. If, if you're not going to just outright commit genocide like against an entire people which obviously would not be acceptable to to, to uh, really shouldn't be acceptable to anyone um then you, you're going to leave basically a lot of people alive who subsequently you know hate israel so really the question is like how for, for every hamas member that you kill how many did you create mm -hmm. and if you create more than you kill you've not succeeded that's the you know the real situation there 
Um, and it's safe to say that if, you know, um, if you know, if if you kill somebody's child in Gaza, you've you've, you've made at least a few uh, Hamas members who will die just just to kill an Israeli. Now, I of course this is a guy who likes to just speak his mind where he doesn't necessarily understand certain issues sometimes, but. It is a point that I see raised. Oh, are we actually making things worse by supporting Israel in their fight against Hamas because you end up creating more Hamas members or sympathizers in Gaza? What do you react? What's your reaction to that, General Slocum? And especially given that the real entity that is creating and has been creating more Hamas members is actually a country called Iran, which finances Hamas, which finances their rule over Gaza that they've had since being elected in the mid-2000s. Well, I see some validity, certainly, to what uh, Elon Musk was talking about there. Um, my counterpoint, if I was have, you know, to have the opportunity to talk with him about it, uh, would be I'm not sure that there are a whole lot of fans of Israel and Gaza to begin with. Um, yes, but when you look at it from a bigger perspective, I'd be I'd be more worried about that application around the world in different countries. So countries that didn't necessarily have an issue with Israel would now, or a movement that was very slow, uh, weak or something now is going to be able to recruit more members in other places around the world that are going to be anti-Israel. Um, uh, Iran. Uh, as you said, they're the ones that has their, their hand uh, in a lot of cases. It's the hand up the puppet, uh, making the mouths move. And a lot of these proxy uh, forces that are not just attacking Israel, we see them acting against the United States right now. Um, the counter argument, I would go back to, let's look at the example of Israel with Egypt for, you know, they've fought many wars over time. They got to the Camp David Accords. Uh, and I do believe that there's a pretty decent understanding and setup of communication now between these two countries, um, uh, despite the fact that they've had the wars and everything else. Uh, they're probably not you know, overly friendly, but at the same time, from a diplomatic perspective, uh, it's functional and it's peaceful. Um, so sometimes the use of force can be appropriate, especially when that's the only language that somebody else is speaking. Um, in that whole light, I will also say, you know, anybody who's ever uh, been involved with war, involved with conflicts, learns very, very quickly that that price is really high. And we all pray that, you know, we can go away from violence and get to a resolution as part of all this. So Elon's right that there can be this uh, multi-generational, uh, but at the same time, uh, you also have to speak a language that's going to allow for peace to even be negotiated to begin with. Um, and you do that through a position of strength, not through a position of compromise. Uh, along those lines, General Slocum, and I appreciate the excellent analysis, there are more calls here on the home front and in countries around the globe for a ceasefire. That would mean Israel stops responding to Hamas, stops their effort to root them out, and at least on paper, Hamas does the same and says, "Okay, we're not going to fight, except that probably isn't going to happen, is it? What is your take on the increasing calls for a ceasefire that to me seem far more rooted, let's be honest, in anti-Semitism than in some sort of a genuine humanitarian military strategy? 
Well, I think there's a little of uh, both of those uh, that are involved right there. When you look at it just from a humanitarian standpoint, you can see people that are like going, hey, we need to, to take care of take care of people. And that is a noble calling. Uh, but a lot of the ceasefire call uh, from a different perspective would be is that's going to give Hamas an opportunity to regroup a little bit. Uh, uh, if you've been a boxer in the ring for, you know, many, many, many minutes, you know, taking a break helps you out. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of these calls would be for if you look at it from that different perspective uh, to to take the breath, to rearm, to reorganize, to communicate. Uh, and that's why I think Israel sees themselves in a position now where they have Hamas on the ropes. They have them in a position where they can't coordinate, where they're they're running. They're they're concerned. I'd call it scared um, that they are in a position now to be able to achieve their objectives. And every time you take a pause and allow that enemy to regroup. You're going to set yourself back from that ultimate objective of uh, eliminating Hamas. And so when we talk about a ceasefire, though, that those calls seem to be different from what Israel is at least reportedly doing. These four hour pauses saying, OK, we're going to stop the violence for four hours, stop the combat and allow humanitarian aid to flow through from Egypt, for example. Well, and, you know, the big concern, of course, is let's talk, you know, what is humanitarian aid? You and I would like to think that we give stuff and it goes to the Palestinian people uh, there in Gaza. Uh, that's not the case in the history. That hasn't been the case. Uh, you'd see trucks that have weapons hidden within those stores. A lot of those stores then are actually used for uh, helping Hamas. They're taken by the, the militia, the military side of things. Uh, away from the people. We've seen that happen with fuel deliveries, with different types of supplies. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the UN relief effort stuff has been what's been used to build this infrastructure that Israel's fighting against at this point. So you, if you look at it from Israel's perspective, uh, it's just an opportunity for Hamas to regroup, rearm, uh, and to be able to provide a more effective defense from, from Hamas's perspective uh, against this onslaught from Israel. General Doug Slocum joining us here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, let's talk a bit about the ballistic missile that came in from Yemen and Israel, Israel's defense system. Now are we in the realm of sort of space warfare? 303-696-1971 will be our telephone number in a little bit when we open up the phones and get your thoughts on the conflict. But we return with General Slocum here in just a few moments on 710 KNUS. With the best bumper music known to man, 10 years running, it's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Joe Bonamassa bringing us back. This is always fun to see live at Red Rocks with the Ballad of John Henry as we continue. Thanks for joining us. Being a part of the program, we've been talking this hour with retired Air Force Brigadier General Doug Slocum, who's been kind enough to join us on this Veterans Day morning to dive into military strategy and what's happening on the ground in Gaza. And General, before we leave this question of a ceasefire, there are a couple of uh, questions in regards to this. One in particular is the hostages. We still have 
hundreds of hostages, not just Israeli hostages, but Americans and other nationalities that are being held captive by Hamas. Although, of course, in many instances, we don't know. Nobody knows if they're alive, if they're dead, how they're faring. How do you think that ties in at this point with the ongoing calls for ceasefire? Well, and, you know, that's a great question because you don't hear a whole lot of talk about that now. Israel, in their public statements, was very clear, no ceasefire until the hostages are released. Uh, But you don't hear the international community talking about that a whole lot because you would think if Hamas's interest really was protecting the people of Gaza, uh, you know, it's 200 and some hostages versus uh, you know, the two million, roughly two million people that live there in Gaza, it seems like a, a pretty smart move, uh, but they're sticking to holding those hostages. So, you know, there, there's a compromise that could be had, but clearly sides still are not compromising. Uh, it's a sticky situation between, you know, the tunnels, human shields, uh, the urban setting and the hostages. It is a very unique and multi-challenging uh, scenario that Israel's having to deal with. Yeah, I don't understand this logic, at least if you're looking at it from a genuine vantage point of we want peace, saying let's have a ceasefire and then have the hostages released doesn't make sense because you're talking about maintaining those hostages and then taking the word of Hamas that they are going to release the hostages after Israel, at least for a period of time, lays down their arms. Yeah. And if you look at history, there's no precedent that would support that as a course of action. Now, all of this, of course, goes back to the issue that we were talking about as well in the last segment of what you call lawfare or the public opinion battle. And a big piece of this, of course, is the claims of genocide. Israel is committing genocide against the Palestinian people. Here is sort of a a defense of that from Rashida Tlaib, congresswoman who was just censured by the U.S. House earlier this week, including, by the way, she's a Democrat, several fellow Democrats, not just Republicans. Much of what I'm seeing is distortion, distortion of my words, also in trying to silence my residents who have been calling from the beginning of freedom, freedom from inequality, freedom from the occupation, freedom from the violence. And so it has been really difficult, I think, for me as I walk on the House floor, walking there, watching many of the colleagues that voted for this not engage me, and they know I'm ready. And then Bernie Sanders, senator from Vermont, was asked point blank on CNN about the term genocide being thrown about to Israel. That last screen said Joe Biden supported the genocide of the Palestinian people. I know you know the definition of genocide. It is defined as a crime committed with intent to destroy a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. Do you think that's what Israel is doing here? What's going on right now is a horror show. We don't have to quibble about words. Thousands of men, women, and children are being killed. It has got to end right now. Here's the problem with what I heard from Senator Sanders there, General Slocum, is it's not just quibbling about words. When you see American politicians, prominent people, not just Rashida Tlaib, but growing numbers of others, particularly on the left, calling not only for a ceasefire, but saying Israel is committing genocide, that adds to the propaganda power of Hamas and their ability to not just rope in more Palestinians in Gaza, 
but other countries and support around the world. And we have seen that grow. And not only that, we've seen them get more and more emboldened and brazened. Here's one more clip, and then we'll jump to you for reaction, General. And that is at NYU, New York University. This is a chant that they were doing at a protest a week ago. They were yelling, we want all of it. We don't want no Jewish state. We want all of it. That was a New York City general. Yeah, it's an, it's amazing the things that we're hearing now. And I'll start by going, I'm going to completely disagree with uh, uh, Bernie Sanders and the comment there about let's not quibble over the words. I think words are very important exactly. right now. Uh, and that use of the word genocide, uh, you touched on it. Uh, when you look at the definition, that's, you know, killing uh, a large number of people with a particular aim of eliminating an ethnic group or a nation. Uh, and that's clearly not what's happening. If that's what Israel was doing, they'd be carpet bombing. Uh, they'd be active in the West Bank. Um, you know, so those words matter because you're painting a picture in the minds of others, especially as we talk about this information warfare. Um, you know, back to your quote that you were playing from uh, our dear Michigan uh, representative Rashida Tlaib, that term about freedom from violence. Um, one of the um, greatest single phrases, I think, that really helped me visualize in my head the situation going on over there is when somebody mentioned if if the people of Hamas were to lay down their arms, there would be peace. If Israel were to lay down their arms, there would be genocide. And when you look at it from that perspective, um, you know, and back to that freedom from violence, it's been Gaza that, uh, and Hamas, particularly, uh, and their military arm, that's been, you know, constant rocket attacks. That's why the whole Iron Dome system and all was developed. That's why there's been a constant, uh, you know, barrier defensive system and all. Uh, unfortunately, Israel got normalized to that, what we would call normalized deviancy, to the point where uh, they almost became complacent. And that's what we saw happen on the 7th of October. Um, you know, that violence that has been a, a way of life, uh, despite the fact that tens of thousands of uh, Palestinians from Gaza would come to work in Israel and mm -hmm. had those opportunities. That's obviously not happening now either. So, um it's it's just a tough situation over there right now. But, you know, the biggest thing for me was the words do matter, how we describe things matter. And I'm not sure I I can understand while well those folks in New York could possibly be yelling things like that if they have any concept of what it is they're talking about. I couldn't agree more with you, General Doug Slocum. But this does raise a big question. Is Israel on sort of a time crunch because of the growing brazenness of this anti-Semitic, anti-Israeli, anti-Zionist sentiment and how it is being expressed and growing in numbers and so forth. Are they looking at the clock and saying, OK, we only have so much time that we can really do this before we have to do a ceasefire. Or we have to end the conflict. Well, it would not be a self-imposed uh, constraint on them, I don't believe. Uh, when you look at you know, the fact that, you know, they are very dependent on the United States as an ally right now. 
to provide uh, you know, both some cover internationally for them in the United Nations, but also from a military perspective, uh, supporting uh, the IDF and what they're doing. Uh, keeping that relationship whole is very important uh, strategically for Israel. So, you know, the United States plays an outsized role there. What messaging are they getting from the United States? And rightfully, you know, the big message of support uh, up front, but you're hearing increasingly the turning of the screws uh, caving to international pressure, I believe, from our administration talking to Israel about uh, we need to do something that, once again, I'm not sure it's from the practical side, but it's we need to, let's call it, throw a bone to the international community to show that we're doing something uh, in response to the the outrage, if you will, that we're seeing around the world and the use of uh, this false information. And I'll go back to your quote from uh, Representative Tlaib. Um, you know, when she was talking about the bombing of the hospital, even when that was proven not to be the case, continued with that mantra of telling that particular, I'll just call it what right. it is. It's an outright lie yes. uh, of what was happening over there. So the information warfare is important. Um, and I think, you know, the public opinion in the United States is important, and especially as we head into an election year. Yeah. Uh, now the administration is having to walk that fine line of trying to appease both sides. General Slocum, let's emphasize a particular point you said in that moment. The United States has provided tremendous support for Israel with their defensive systems, including, for example, the Iron Dome. We saw just in the last few weeks a ballistic missile fired from Yemen towards Israel, and they intercepted that ballistic missile. Talk to us a little bit about what Israel has as far as its capabilities for preventing these missile strikes from hitting the ground. Well, certainly, because it's a very unique uh, setup they have with the cooperation of the United States, with, uh, you know, teaming with our, our industry partners, as well as with the governmental cooperation. Israel's developed three specific indigenous systems that they use to help defend their airspace uh, from all sorts of threats uh, over there. From the, what we'll call the upper tier, this is you know higher altitudes, all the way out into to the lower aspects of space, outside of the atmosphere, there's a system called Aero. Uh, a couple of different versions of that, uh, but they have a number of batteries. These are deployed systems that can go and take down uh, a wide range of things, including ballistic missiles that are outside the atmosphere still. Uh, in the medium realm, you have a system they've developed called David's Sling, uh, which is, you know, range-wise pretty comparable to the Patriot system. Uh, they also have the U.S.-made uh, Patriot surface-to-air uh, system. And then what we hear about a lot, of course, is the Iron Dome, that short-range, very unique system that was designed for exactly what we're seeing happening out of Gaza, those short-range rockets, mortar shells, and even artillery shells. Um, what happened uh, that was so unique was when that missile was launched, I believe it was on the 31st of October, from Yemen to Israel, the Aero system successfully intercepted uh, that missile more than 30 miles up. So outside of our atmosphere, wow. uh, I believe it's the first operational successful use of what was the vision of Ronald Reagan Star Wars. This is there you go. the ability for a country to defend itself against ballistic missiles. 
So I have to ask the question to, to everyone listening is what would have happened if they hadn't intercepted that? Would Israel be standing by while Yemen is, you know, shooting and ballistic missiles are impacting the country of Israel? I think we'd be looking at a much wider conflict very quickly. So these defensive systems, even though they're not striking at offensively at the infrastructure, they are so critically important because they are keeping the peace. They are keeping this conflict from mm. spreading. Uh, and we help them develop these systems. They're very unique, but also, as we can see now, very capable. And we had a very, uh, yeah. you know, one of our U.S. destroyers with its wonderful weapon systems shooting down 15 different targets within a two-hour period in the Red Sea area, also from Yemen. Uh, there's some amazing capabilities out there that are helping keep oh. the peace. Doesn't this just underscore then, General Slocum, how charitably, let's put it, misguided the likes of Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and others who haven't supported the Iron Dome's uh, funding that the U.S. has provided or funding for other defensive systems? And isn't it ironic that they would oppose what is preventing more civilian casualties from being inevitable. Yeah, I mean, there is an irony to all of that. Uh, I think the argument would basically be that Israel doesn't have a right to defend itself. Um, yes, it's the only one. That would be what they would have to be you know, advocating for, really, because as you can see, you know, Iron Dome doesn't kill a single person on the ground. All it does is protect Israelis from being killed. Um, so why would we not want that to happen? And now you get into an interesting psych the psychiatric look at why they're appealing from that perspective. Sure. Uh, and we can even take that to, you know, the, the precision weapons and all that Israel's using now. If we don't have precision weapons, do we want them using non-precision weapons over there? Uh, I would scratch my head. Yeah, you know, we've great also point. provided some like what we call our small diameter bombs, uh, smaller, lower uh, explosive power, but very precise type of weapons. Why would we not want Israel using those, you know, from Rashida Tlaib's and others' perspectives, as opposed right. to a 2,000-pound one that hits within a block? Just, um, yeah. Uh, no, I think on this methodical approach you mentioned earlier in our conversation, and right now you're getting at the, the capabilities for a more methodical approach. This will be final question. Uh, what are the lengths that Israel has to go to to be methodical here? What are some of the strategies that they're approaching in Gaza at this moment in that way of being more methodical? Because when we look at what happened earlier, they waited a long time. And you and I, last time we talked, had discussed that Israel was waiting for the circumstances to be right on the ground for them to have what they needed. Now we are at a point where they are on the ground and they have to be methodical in these ways. Well, there's a number of reasons it's taken a while. One is, you know, they got a bloody nose. When that happened, there was a number of days where they're still trying to root out terrorists on Israeli territory. Uh, they were rocked back on their heels. Their readiness clearly wasn't what it, uh, they would have thought it should be uh, from an intelligence gathering standpoint. Uh, what are they looking at? What are the problems? Where are the specific targets uh, you know, to achieve their objectives? There was a lot that had to be done uh, behind the scenes and on the ground before they could even put their eyes into what is the step going to be into Gaza. And then looking at all these challenges that we've talked about, uh, what we would call the United States shaping the battlefield, uh, what things need to be taken out, what 
what things can we do to make it an advantageous environment uh, for the, in this case, as the IDF steps into Gaza, so they're not stepping into uh, the landmines, the, the IEDs, the ambushes, uh, you know, these tunnel entrants where if you're, you advance down a street and suddenly you know, you're going to have enemy troops and weapons pop up behind you because you've passed the tunnel entrance. So it has to be a very methodical approach. Uh, and they also understand this, that lawfare idea, that, that public perception. They're not going out there indiscriminately killing. They're trying to, to do their best, but there is going to be a case when, you know, the people are fighting you from under a mosque or from a hospital or, you know, some other critical infrastructure. Uh, that's what you're going to have to attack. It's just, it's an imperative from the military mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. And then, of course, everybody's standing around with the cameras ready to go, look, Israel's attacking a hospital. Uh, or whatever it happens to be. So I think they're going very, very slow, very methodical, understanding the limitations of what they've got going on, but at the same time uh, achieving their objectives. General Doug Slocum, we really appreciate you joining us for your expert analysis on the program this morning. Uh, Really grateful as well for your service as we remember our veterans on this Veterans Day. So thank you so much for both. Fantastic. I always appreciate being with you. And now I'm going to go off and do some celebrating of our veterans uh, up here in Michigan. So I hope everyone has a fantastic day. And to all the veterans, thank you for what you've done for this country. Beautiful. Great note to end on. Once again, Brigadier General Doug Slocum retired from the Air Force after 35 years joining us on the program with tremendous analysis. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more on the other side. The Jimmy Sangenberger Show, 710 KNUS. What a great tune as we wrap up another tight segment to end this now the second hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. It's the Nick Moss Band with the tune The Bait in the Snare featuring amazing harmonica by Dennis Grunling. Just gotta love that harp. Next hour, wide open, 303-696-1971. Is our telephone number. Call in, join the conversation. We'll get to some checks coming up as well on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. Lots to discuss. What were your thoughts on our conversation with General Slocum? We'll pick it up on the other side. News Talk 710 KNUS.